At one point in time, everyone was going through the exact same thing. No matter if you were a VP, a president, a manager, or an hourly frontline team member, they had something in common to talk about and to discuss and to develop that level of empathy and to be there for each other. Hey y'all, I'm Becca Leaf, Director of Business Development for HHS. And I'm Amy Fritzer, Director of Business Development for HHS. This week's episode is featuring Lisa Molnar, who is the President of Human Capital Management here at HHS, and Tom Decker, who is our President of Learning and Development. We covered quite a bit of ground, and the main theme was talking about COVID and the need for clear communication, how we optimized our teams and really kept them focused through remote learning, how millennials versus baby boomers reacted to all the changes this last year. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, what is the workspace going to look like in the future? I mean, that's a really big deal. And as Lisa and Tom touch on, you know, every company moving forward is going to need to take a close look at that and see how it's going to pan out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Lisa and Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hi, you guys. So the first question I have for you guys, when COVID hit early last year, what was the first thing that came to your mind in your current position? Um, In my current position, because we are majority in healthcare and hospitals, um, it was a drastic impact for us and something that we needed to immediately jump on and start looking at it from a human personal side. Um, How are people going to respond? How are they going to be able to navigate the waters between their home life, having their children at home, but at the same time, they have to be in the hospital every single day. And then what is being in that hospital every day for every shift look like? Um, are they going to be able to go home at night? Are they going to, what are they going to do for their child cares? Because everything, as we all know, shut down 100%. Um, and then from that, it was also working with our different teams that are essential and non-essential. Um, I would say that my team at our corporate office is considered non-essential where they're actually not having to be in a hospital or a facility, but they are still essential to our hospitals and facilities because if we're not here, that they can't operate. Um, But they had more of the ability to work remote, be able to take care of their kids. And so it was developing that empathy on both sides, whether you were a corporate employee being able to work remote and support or at our hospital, a manager running that or an hourly employee cleaning our facilities, serving food, um, patient sitters. Um, I think all of our employees, no matter what tier they were at, were very frustrated and overwhelmed. And so it was getting past that mental mind block and then developing a way to communicate with our staff on every level and teach them how to communicate to their employees on how we are going to get through this. Um, So our biggest struggle, the first thing that we had to basically come to a conclusion on is how are we going to communicate? And once we could get communication down, then everything could fall into place um, and we could start pushing out material guidance and support. I'll add to that. So, yeah, obviously it was a scary time. For everybody not knowing what we were getting ourselves into and not not knowing too much about covid you know we we're in hospitals we we're cleaning we we're disinfecting so from a comfort perspective we felt pretty comfortable that we knew how to handle these things but there was a lot of unknown and because we recruit a lot of managers from outside the industry getting them to feel comfortable uh, putting them into an environment where you know it, it's new for everybody uh, was a scary thing so like lisa said our whole training program, we had to design it around making sure that people feel, felt safe uh, so that, you know, patients and families and doctors and nurses and everybody, all the frontline workers remained safe, including our staff. So it was a scary time, but, you know, we got through it. So to, to kind of follow up on that, how did you guys 
understanding communication was going to be first and foremost. How did you go about that? Um, I think for us as an executive leadership group, what we came together and immediately did was um, daily live stream calls for all of our managers to participate on. Um, And when you looked back at 2020, at the end of the year, we did an employee engagement um, survey. And it was actually, we were a little scared to see what those engagement um, scores were going to be because we had just gone through a whole 2020 COVID um, communication, staffing issues, um, people being, you know, upset, frustrated, overworked because we were supporting hospitals. PTO was being denied left and right. And we actually had the highest um, engagement than we had ever had for the past five years under the same survey. And when one of the main questions was about communication and leadership, and that was overall 20% higher than the prior years, I think it just really spoke for all of our managers. And again, these are surveys done by our hourly team members, so frontline team members working in our facilities. Um, So I think that showed volume for HHS and how well we communicated and our leadership, how effective they were during this time. Um, And so I think the best thing that our organization did right away is start those live stream calls. We had them at the exact same time every day, Monday through Friday. We hit on the topics of the day because, as you know, you're watching the news every day. It was changing. Mm -hmm. Um, There was either some new rumor or some new um, statistic that was coming out. You know, we were having supply chain issues, um, getting chemicals, resources into the facility, staffing issues. So we made sure we are always hitting on hot topics. We resourced some of our labor to basically provide additional support for recruitment um, on the hourly front uh, line team member side to make sure we could get individuals into the facility and how that would work. Um, And then we had our COVID hub on our intranet site for all of our managers to be able to access and get up to date information. Mm -hmm. And then we also started our COVID email communication. You know, Tom kind of took. Um, the leadership role in that and making sure that, you know, it was a constant message coming out from one email address that everyone knew to if that COVID email came out, pay attention to this. It was either a communication on what we were doing. It was training. Here's something that you needed to be on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think being consistent and our times and our types of communication and then also that open communication is really what set us apart and got us through 2020. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we did, which I thought was uh, pretty cool, and we saw this across the industry, by the way. So, you know, being in the hospital, uh, housekeeping business and environmental services, you know, knowing some stuff about it and continuing the research and working with our partners um, for some of the suppliers of chemicals and equipment that we use. We made uh, all of our resources, all of our COVID resources available to the public. Um, on our on our webpage that's open to everybody. So, you know, we encouraged, I know that uh, Amy and Becca, I know you were sending out information to uh, across the country to hospitals that weren't even our, our clients, just making them aware that this resource exists and trying um, to help everybody who had those concerns, whether you were, you know, cleaning a hospital or even resources to help people keep safe at home. And I think the theme there, Tom, is, is kind of like we're all in this together, right? Like, let's let's all pivot and get through this together. So, Lisa, going back to that frontline associate survey you were talking about and how it had the highest scores this year. And it sounds like obviously communication was a big piece of that. But what else do you think it was? Like, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that the teams were working together for a common good and that was just boosting morale? I think for the first time in our organization history, um, and I mean, across the world, at one point in time, everyone was going through the exact same thing, no matter what level of employee you were, what um, area you were in the country, in the uh, the world, um, what social 
dynamic you were under, everyone was being impacted by COVID. So for our teams at that point in time, no matter if you were a VP, a president, a manager, or an hourly frontline team member, they were all starting to deal with the exact same thing, having the exact same concerns on where where are we going as an organization, as an individual, as a um, company, and what will my job look like tomorrow? Um, you know, will I get sick? Will I catch this? What's going to happen next? And so that d- basically developed this understanding and this empathy across um, all levels of communication and management. And so I think for that survey, why it increased is because at that point in time, it put our frontline managers and those team members that they manage on an equal playing field. They had something in common to talk about and to discuss and to develop that level of empathy and to be there for each other. And because that was an open communication and something that wasn't forbidden to not talk about in the whole HR world, everybody was talking about COVID. We were talking about our families, our kids, what we were going to do or not do, our loved ones that were in the hospitals. That level of open communication and having all those barriers down in the um, areas that you're not normally supposed to talk about, I think just developed relationships and made people feel more comfortable to actually then come into the workplace, have the conversations, be open and direct about what was going on. And so I think that truly is what increased um, that level of employee engagement and communication and then just feeling comfortable with their leadership. Mm-hmm. You had our leaders cleaning hospitals, serving patients um, because we were all understaffed. And so everybody right. was doing the exact same thing, no matter where you were in the organization. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like going forward, that's something that you guys can keep up and, and keep implementing into the teams? Um, I think it's if you were a manager during 2020 with HHS, especially in the hospital settings, um, I think you learned a lot about who you were as a manager and as a person. Um, You learned what level of stress that you could take on or not take on, Mm -hmm. what was a priority for the organization and for that facility that you were at, and then where your team members' priorities lied, um, which they hadn't really seen before because they had never been tested in this way. Um, I definitely think as a manager, even in my role, um, we all grew from 2020 and kind of learned where as an organization we wanted to go. What was the most important things to look at Mm -hmm. when we evaluate even our benefit plans? What did we learn from COVID and how should we develop our benefit plans, our HR policies to bounce back from this and structure ourselves to be able to accommodate and handle this in the future again? Um, You saw immediately a lot of things on mental health came out and daycare support and things like that. Um, Thankfully, HHS was already set up to support all of that, um, but it just created a heightened awareness on it, um, which allowed us to then basically grow from there. So I think as managers coming out of that, you're only a stronger manager now because you kind of just went through the trenches. Um, And if you were a new manager, I mean, it was, you know, you were in boot camp and you came out of this. So anything you face now, it's just like, I got this, it's easy. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, so Tom, I mean, obviously Lisa deals with the human capital side of it. And Tom, you oversee our leadership and development team within the organization that helps develop, you know, our directors, our managers, or, you know, the higher up leadership in the facilities and all across the board. So how did you and your team adapt to that? Yeah. So prior to COVID, uh, what we did in learning and development is, you know, we really tried to train our managers on how to become better leaders for our team members, for the, the real front line um, that are out there every day. And so when COVID hit, obviously we were taken by surprise. And so our training um, went away from that and more about the safety component of it. So after we found more about how to treat COVID, how to kill it and remove it from facilities, 
we reverted back to um, focusing on leadership development, but it was a different feel because now we're uh, we're doing it virtually. And in the past, we would spend the time in person, engaging with them, getting them to know us, having us get to know them. And so it became a different environment for us having to do things like we're doing now, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at each other on screen. And it's still uncomfortable for people to do this, although I think all of us have been accustomed to it. We're used to it now. It's still something that I think is going to stick with us for a long time. Um, You know, we are hoping to bring back our learning and development program on campus again, you know, once it's safe. And so I look forward to that. But, you know, we'll continue to adapt. I don't think I think COVID, the impact of COVID is going to last a long time. And and we'll remember the things that uh, that we changed in our lives to adjust accordingly. So I think we're going to have to live with that for a while. And I think from a training perspective, you probably have to be more purposeful in making sure you implement that desk side social time so that you build those relationships when you're virtual it's harder to do that naturally whereas you know if if you're in the classroom you're taking a break and you're having lunch together you're walking down the hall to go get some water and you strike up a conversation with somebody in the class with you but when you're virtual you're really just sitting by yourself Mm -hmm. on those break times so how have you guys tried to combat that a little bit uh obviously we've had to be creative i don't think that we build as good of relationships with people in the past, we had people here five days for the entire week, and we work with them for 12 hours. Now our program is two hours a day for five days. And a lot of times the technology is hard for our operations team to actually physically engage um, face-to-face and actually have a camera. So a lot of times people are calling in uh, different hours. So sometimes people are calling from home where you know they're calling in from their cell phones. Um, so we've, we've adjusted the way we present and engage and try to build a little bit of team, trying to make it, um, a little bit more fun and engaging for the team, you know, less presentations, less us talking and more of us being moderators. So people can, can share their experiences and feel like they're engaged in the training themselves. And not only are we training them, but I think they're training each other. And so, you know, I think over the last, year or so, I think we've done a lot better. And I think people going through orientation now feel good at the end of the two weeks uh, about being part of the company and and having the comfort that uh, we at the corporate office, Lisa's team, you know, and all the other teams are here to support them. So I think, you know, we've made improvements there and we'll continue to improve. You know, one of the things I I noticed, um, was that uh, obviously we as a company, we use Salesforce, right? In Salesforce chatter. And I've noticed that the last, I don't know, six, eight months is just crazy. I mean, there's so much more engagement on there from from managers and directors all over the country, you know, at our various accounts, making comments or posting about, you know, celebrating their team members there in the facility or a culinary, you know, a, a new recipe they came up with in the, for the cafeteria and the patients and the staff. And it's just really interesting to see that. And I think that comes back to what you both have done with you and your teams and the communication within our organization from top to bottom that, you know, they they do feel more engaged. And because you're limited on personal relationships, being able to be together, they're having to utilize things like Salesforce chatter and emails and group chats and stuff a lot more. And it seems like it's actually working. 
You know, that makes me think, Amy, because Amy, she's been remote. She was remote prior to COVID, mm-hmm. right? And so she was part of the team that was remote. The rest of us were in the office. I think that's an interesting point because now those that were remote previously probably feel like they're more part of the team. They're not missing out on anything because yeah. everyone is remote and teams have like a team chat going on or something like that. So you're part of it just as much as everyone else mm-hmm. is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So that actually brought up a question I had for the two of you and, and not just as, as HHS leaders, but you know things that you've heard your peers say within the HR and training realm, as well as leaders that you follow within those industries. What do you predict will happen to remote working now that COVID has happened? I mean, you hear people say things like, we're going to sell our building and everyone's going to remain remote and that's going to save us a lot of money now. I mean, what do you predict for the future? Personally, with HHS and just even, um, you know, in my HR area and um, different committees that I sit on and um, boards, you know, we talk about how what this did for um, employers is did show them that um, employees can be productive while being remote. Mm -hmm. So you had several leaders that were just so anti-remote and this opportunity gave a lot of employees the ability to show I'm just as productive or I'm more productive. But then at the same time, it also showed us as leaders, what are the employees that definitely are not productive when they're remote (laughs) and they need to be in an office Um, because there are the two different ones. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think every organization is going to have to come back from this and address the fact that it's going to get competitive in the workforce because there are going to be those companies that will sell their buildings and will say we're 100 percent remote. And people that have come out of this after a year and a half and have enjoyed their work-life balance because of a remote work life, they're going to want to stay in that. And mm-hmm. so it's going to get competitive in the recruitment area, especially the managers um, and salaried employees who can stay remote. Um, so for us in the Dripping Springs corporate office, you know, we've already looked at saying, you know, we're going to have to go to a hybrid remote policy. There are going to be people that aren't going to want to return that are going to find other jobs. So we need to be flexible in how we come back from this. And then when you look at our frontline team members, that's a different realm of employees that you're looking at a workforce. Nurses know that they're going to have to be in a hospital. Right. And work. Mm-hmm. Um, our frontline team members are culinary support, housekeeping, um, hotels and resorts, airports, I mean, you know what that job is. You don't go and say, I'm going to be a housekeeper at a hospital and be like, but I want to be remote. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a different uh, dynamic when you look at that. Um, But there is so much competitiveness right now trying to get employees back in because of what's happened um, with unemployment benefits that have been paying out. So that's an area that we're trying at the same time when we look at our um, salary exempt group and trying to keep our managers Um, but also combating on the hourly essential workers, frontline workers saying, you know, we have to look at wages and benefits and how are we going to be competitive in that area? So I think when we look at the next three to four years um, for all employers, there's going to be a huge competition between the, you know, main um, competitors in each industry to try to keep managers in the door onboarding with us and same thing with frontline team members. So I see a drastic change when it comes to work-life balance PTO plans, benefits, Mm -hmm. um, and just what an employer has to offer um, to keep employees happy from a work-life balance. And I think that's going to be the biggest play in the word used over and over because that's something Mm -hmm. COVID taught us was if you were in an office 12 hours a day, five days a week, you learned that you were missing something when it came to work-life balance when you went to a remote work job. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I think about, and I think about my 13-year-old daughter, 
who uh, a lot of us experience this is that our kids stay in their room mm-hmm. uh, on their computer and that's that's the times we live in and yep. so mm-hmm. always asking her to come out of her office and to build social skills and I think for you know not just HHS but industry in general I think that's part of my concern is I think from a work-life balance yeah it's great um, you know you cut down the travel time you know, I think people are more productive, they get more operational work done. One of my fears, again, is how to you how do you build relationships with your fellow team members, mm-hmm. where a lot of times, you know, sitting around a water cooler, or, or, you know, just passing each other in the hallway, and talking about ideas and, and new ways of doing things, or um, uh, just helping each other out, I think we're missing, we're missing that social aspect of it. And certainly, when I work from home, uh, sitting in my office, I never get out of my chair. Um, right. And I'm always, you know, I, I forget to move. <laughs> and, right. and I think that's, that's something that we all need to be cognizant about. Um, one of the things that at HHS we're proud of, um, and our owner continues to reinforce the concept of culture of HHS. So I was having lunch today with uh, some of our our visitors that are here on campus this week. And we're talking about all the new people at HHS, people that I haven't met yet, you know, since COVID. And so I think there's quite a few people. So how do we engage them with the culture and get them to feel, you know, more about the company that they work for? And so maybe looking at doing something, um, you know, again, when it's safe to bring those new employees who have joined us since COVID and do sort of a mini orientation where they get to meet one another and they get to learn more about our culture and maybe do a tour of, of um, the foundation that our owner established, you know, I think is a, is a good way to, to help connect people, uh, you know, at least, you know, if it's a one time so that they get a better understanding of who they, they work with and maybe, you know, put names and faces together. So I think that's something that we as managers uh, need to kind of think about is, yeah, we want that support. We want our team members to have the work-life balance. That how do we make them feel connected to HHS is, is one of the challenges that many industries are having. You know, I, I just wanted to reject here. I think it was kind of fun, but everyone knows I'm a big Packer fan, right? And we've had a big fan club for a long time. We only made it into one episode and, and Amy brought Ooh. up the Packers, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I bring that up is because the sense of camaraderie and being part of a team is so important. And I think the reason like our club has worked so well is it's better to get together when, you know, you can watch your team win or lose, but it's better to be with other fans or coworkers or people on your team than watching it by yourself on a, on a TV screen. So the reason I bring that up is because it's basically what you're saying, Tom, is it's so important to have that engagement and how is that going to look going forward? You know, it's just one of the challenges, right. I guess. We'd have to see how it works out, but. And maybe that means there's more emphasis on, you know, wellness and mental health programs, kind of what you were saying earlier, Lisa, because. I think mental health is becoming even more to the forefront now with people being, you know, stuck in their house by themselves all day. I mean, that can really do a lot to your head after a while. Or when their spouses and their kids. Right. (laughs) Yes. There seems to be a new funny meme about that almost every day. Exactly. Right. I'm coming off of COVID. Also, you have, you know, your different generations coming into the workforce that Mm -hmm. drastically changes that um, view of remote work versus not. I mean, that was even something every HR professional was talking about as new generations, millennials were coming into the workplace. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How do they 
socialize compared to your baby boomers? Um, what right. is their um, etiquette skill when it comes to business mm-hmm. meetings? Um, how do they communicate? How do they learn? How do they accept constructive criticism or not? Um, so I think you see that whether we had COVID or not, um, you're going to constantly have that battle as individuals are coming um, out of college schools, coming into the workforce. Um, you're having mixed generations that have learned differently from, you know, our kids doing online school now. Um, they're kind of ahead of the curve. They know how to do Google Classroom. They're emailing their teachers. I mean, that was stuff that we didn't even do until we had a, a real job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right, right. It's sad my 13-year-old can figure stuff out faster than I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's just something that even even if we didn't have COVID, it's going to be stuff that we would have to address and learn how to um, change our systems and incorporate that in because the world in itself with technology and how well our younger generations um, interact with technology and they do want to stay with themselves, you know. They date through an app. They do everything through text messages. It's so different than your older generations. So that's always going to be something that myself and Tom on learning and development is going to have to be looking into. How do we adapt and change with our culture and evolution of just technology and people in general? Right. And when you look at it that way, COVID kind of just forced us to do that sooner and forced everyone to do it. The baby boomers too. Yeah. I mean, you had to accept it. You had to make changes. Um, And and same thing with mental health. That was something that was coming in to play more because of younger generations and being more accepted. Right. Um, It wasn't accepted in your older generations. It was, you know, taboo to even bring that up. And so that's when you really saw the push for wellness plans, mental health, um, because that was something that younger generations were wanting and they knew it was important. Right. Exactly. Well, We want to end with a fun little question for both of you. Um, And I'll ask Tom first, but what was, since you guys are in HR and you probably would never want to admit to this, but what was the worst job you ever had? Let's see, the worst job that I ever had. You know, um, I don't know if this is fair to say, but I I, I don't look at any job. And this is going to sound corny, by the way. I don't think I've ever had a bad job because I've learned from every job that I've had. And I've had managers that are very, very difficult to work for, um, very demanding, and I've learned a ton from them. I've had managers that were very nice, but didn't learn a whole lot from them either. And I think throughout my career, different people that I work for, different companies that I've worked for, you know, it's built who I am today. So I'm happy with that. I can't say that there's any one job that I that I didn't like. I guess the best job that I had, it's kind of opposite of what you said. Um, <laughs> was probably in college when I was able to, uh, believe it or not, I used to uh, uh, deliver soda to stores oh. on a uh, on a on a Seven Up and a Coke truck. Mm. So yeah, that actually was fun because you built relationships with store owners. It was a bit of physical. Uh, you are meeting a demand for people. So, you know, anytime you can do a job that you physically can see the benefits of, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's that's rewarding. You were like the yeah. high life beer guy. Remember right. the commercials? Non-alcoholic. <laughs> well, yes, but remember the guy, he, he was a big relationship guy. Everyone knew him. That's right. That's right. Very important person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lisa, what about you? Um, I know that it's going to sound corny, like Tom said, but I giggled inside when he basically said what I was going to say. <laughs> and, um, I'm glad he went first because I didn't want people going, oh, that's a typical HR response. Yeah. You're not going to do a bad job. <laughs> um, but it's just, I think 
as you mature in your life and you look back at your jobs and everything, if you were to ask me this question 10 years ago, I would have probably had an answer and been able to rattle it off. But you grow in your career and you look back at things and you realize they weren't necessarily bad jobs. I may not have liked it or not like my manager or somebody that I worked with, but you are not going to be who you are in business as a person, as a family member, unless you've had those jobs and those um, people in your life, um, those experiences. Um, so I can honestly say that I don't think I've ever can chop something up to being the worst job I've ever had. Um, I've always at that time in my life, it was a good job. It's what I needed. Um, but like Tom said, there's people that I maybe didn't love to report to um, mm-hmm. or that I learned from or didn't learn from. But I think also as an executive and a manager, when you have those relationships, you walk away from them going, when I'm in this role, those are things that I'll take away that I will definitely do or how I will definitely not um, act as a leader um, or do. So I just feel everything is a learning moment and what creates who you are today and how you're going to operate. Um, If you've had a vast amount of jobs too, it helps you when a period like COVID comes about. You're able to look at the organization that you work for, the people that work with you, and you can adapt to that. And you're not siloed into the one area that you've been stuck in or the one position that you've had. Um, So I do think that diversity um, is needed. Um, People do need to experience different jobs, different leaders, different organizations, um, if they do want to grow and and be a successful person within an industry or a business. So I think every job it's been a good job for me at that time. That makes me want to do a another podcast on that topic, just interviewing folks like y'all that have, you know, made it mm-hmm. really far in your careers and finding out how you got there. Like kind of like a how I built this, but how I built my yeah. career, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, I, and I would tell, tell you, like, if you asked me that 10 years ago, I would be like, this job, this job, this job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't pick you know, one. They're all bad. <laughs> it's funny how you look back and you're like, wow, I've just matured so much in life. Look at me yeah. answering this question now like this. <laughs> Because you do, you change and you realize like, you know what? I'm glad I had that experience. I'm glad I went through that. It, you know, made me evaluate this completely different than I ever would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I know. I'm telling my 18 year old now, she just started waiting tables and she comes home and she's like, oh my gosh, these people sometimes I just, I'm just remember it's going to make you a better person. You're going to, you're learning how to deal with all yeah. different walks of life. That's going to help you in the long run. <laughs> And that's important for her, Amy, to put it on her resume, too, because those are the things that uh, are very important. You do look at that. And that's something for recruiting. Like when you're in the industry, the service industry, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things HR people look at because you've dealt with conflict. You've Mm -hmm. dealt with different personalities and people. um, And it teaches you so much from that customer service, everything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you brought that up and I was thinking that's probably one of my best jobs I've had because it can be fun. And, and you really did. You didn't realize at the time when you were mm-hmm. 18 or 20, yeah. how much you were learning, but you go back on that and realize like, I'm so glad I did that. And the friends that I have that never waited tables and you're out with them, you can look at them going, you've never waited. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and you're like, it's so embarrassing. Please stop. I can tell that you were never in the service industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you add 10 more percent to that tip, please? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sneak a 20 on the table after they leave. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Yes. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, ladies. Wow. That was a really, really insightful conversation, I feel like, Amy. I, I think my favorite part was how Lisa was talking about the empathy and how that made our 
scores go up so much from this last year. I think that work-life balance has been something that a lot of people don't necessarily buy into or feel guilty about. And COVID really forced it upon us. And I loved what she was saying about that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I think I'm guilty of it probably just as much as anyone else is you, you know, want to work as much as you can to do your job. And then, but when something like that happens and your whole world is changed and whether you've got kids or spouse or, you know, two jobs or another job or whatever you have to do, or you're taking care of a family member, it definitely makes you reevaluate everything for sure. It does. All right. Well, thanks again to Lisa and Tom for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you've learned some insight today. Be sure to follow us and tune in for our next episode with another healthcare leader, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for more tips in healthcare, follow the HHS blog at www.hhs1.com. We'll see y'all next time.